Ever wondered how introverts can thrive in a professional world designed for highly extroverted people? Tara Kapoor, CMO of Duolingo English Test India, is here to spill the beans. Welcome to the Leap.Club podcast, Fireside Chats with industry leaders across domains. Explore ways to be in tune with your needs, set boundaries and build mutually beneficial relationships by tuning into this episode where we dive into networking for all personalities. A very warm welcome to everyone. I'm Ashna. For those of you who don't know me, I'm your host for today's session where we're going to dive into what brings essentially all of us together at Leap.Club and that is networking. We're actually going to take it a step further and talk about what networking looks like for different personalities and how we can leverage it uh, effectively to live our best professional and social lives. Joining us today to break this nebulous topic down is Tara Kapoor. Let me give you a quick introduction on Tara. Um, Tara is currently leading the marketing efforts at um, Duolingo India Test um, in India. Um, Duolingo English Test in India. Um, She's previously worked with Netflix, Vice, Bloomberg, you name it. A fun fact on how Tara's life has impacted all of us is she actually worked on the marketing for shows like Money Heist, uh, Delhi Crime, Stranger Things, and more. So thanks, Tara, for shaping our collective individual lockdowns. Um, Tara is also uh, the founding member of Vitamins 3, which was a um, digital platform that created feminist content with the aim of raising awareness and promoting gender equality a cause that we totally get can get behind. Um, Tara now runs a one- monthly webinar uh, for students and young professionals called Open Conversations with Tara Kapoor. Uh, she shares advice and learnings from her professional journey, um, something that she wished she had when she was kind of navigating this uh, first. And um, that's exactly why she's here today, to extend the spirit of open conversations to the entire Leap.Club community. We are so glad to have you here, Tara. Thank you for joining us. Awesome. Thank you for the introduction. And I think my favorite thing to see in the chat box is there's always so much love for Vitamins 3. I think of, you know, anything I've done, that's the one thing that I always see a lot of love for. So, um, you know, big shout out to everyone who's appreciated that content. And thank you for the introduction. This is the right place to get that kind of appreciation. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, I'm confident lots of Vitamins 3 fans. Now, before we get started and the room gets loaded with questions, I'm going to engage you in a classic Leap.Club rapid fire, just so that our members can get to know you a little better beyond just all the work that you did for Money Heist and Stranger Things. Um, (laughs) So are you ready? I'm going to ask you basically a couple of things and you just have to respond with the first um, words that come to your mind. Okay, cool. So one piece of advice you'd give your younger self? Um... Just like chill a little, like you know. I think I've probably you know stressed about a lot of small things in life, and I think uh, you know, like everything felt like the world is going to fall apart if this doesn't happen. There's a lot of times things didn't happen, and the world did not fall apart. And there's a lot of good stuff that's happened after that. So not very rapid at my answer, but yeah, chill out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. Um, your number one book recommendation? Um, suitable boy by Vikram Singh. It is my favorite book in the world. Okay. Um, Denise will share the link to the book in the chat box. Um, An introvert's greatest strength in a professional setting? 
the ability to bring very thoughtful notes to anything that somebody's working on. There's a lot of time and effort and thought into what's put to, towards um, what they say. Okay, and on the flip side, um, extroverts' greatest strength? Speaking their mind unfiltered. All right. Entertainment or education? Edutainment. <laughs> okay. Uh, what do you consider to be your biggest win? Uh, vitamins 3. Okay. And uh, finally, your personality type? INTJ. So we'll get into what that means with a lot of people. Uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of you that have done these personality tests as well, but uh, you know, we'll discuss it more. Yeah, great. I mean, you set us up for what we're going <laughs> to dive into. Um, so I'm, and I'm sure that help kind of members get to know you better as well. Uh, you know, members, when I first spoke to Tara um, and about her coming on board for this session, of course, in my head, uh, I was thinking about her extensive work and experience in the field of marketing from entertainment to education. Um, but what really stood out to me, Tara, when you were talking is just how passionately you spoke about offering support to um, younger folks, especially like the support that you didn't have and how you've, um, you know, mentioned that there are different personalities that you've seen and the nuanced support that each one of them need. Um, so, I mean, I'd love to kick off this session with some of your insights about the way that professional environments are set up currently and um, how they are, how conducive they are to different personality types. Yeah, I think great question. And I think the biggest challenge that, you know, we have in the corporate world right now is it's built for extroverts, right? So uh, whether it's asking for a promotion, you have to ask for it to get promoted, right? Nobody is actually getting promoted based on merit, uh, getting your raise, speaking up in meetings, uh, leadership qualities or what's perceived as leadership qualities. I think the biggest challenge that exists today is the, the world is built for extroverts, or at least the corporate world is built for extroverts, right? So I think um, that's the core challenge that exists. And Yes, there's a lot of work that organizations are doing to be more inclusive, to think about these things. Uh, you know, a lot of them do personality tests to kind of understand different types that exist in the workplace and how, how they can work together. But um, I think there's so much more that can be done, um, especially from on, on the leadership front, right, to be more inclusive and to think differently in terms of what is seen as traditional leadership as well, right? So uh, I think the core challenge is exactly that. It's built for extroverts right now. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. As a self-proclaimed introvert, um, I absolutely know what you mean. And, you know, when you speak of like the different personalities and how it's catered to extroverts, um, where do you find yourself in that kind of spectrum? And more importantly, how did you learn this about yourself? Yeah, and I think I think what you what you highlighted was the word spectrum. And that's exactly what it is, right? It's it's fluid. Nobody is one exact type uh, and it's not an extreme, right? So I think the, the biggest challenge that happens is people assume that extroverts are the absolute, you know, out, out and out social, you know, always the life of the party kind of person. And an introvert is extremely shy, maybe depressed. Uh, you know, it's, it's got a, a lot of negative connotation that goes with being an introvert. But a lot of people fall in the middle, right? So for me personally, I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, and as I've progressed in life, I've sort of moved more towards being an introvert. So that's the whole point with the spectrum, right? It's not static and you can keep moving up and down 
on that spectrum, right? And I think for a lot of people, um, your personality can evolve over time, right? I was much more extroverted when I was younger. Uh, progressively, I've kind of shifted a little more on the introverted side. Um, and then in different environments, I also oscillate, right? I'm super extroverted with my uh, friends, my closest friends, uh, my family. I'm very introverted in really, really large forums. You know, I'm very introverted when um, I'm facing the top leadership of my organization, right? But that doesn't mean I can't face them, right? So for me, uh, I'm somewhere in the middle, which I think is kind of where a lot of people land, right? There's now a term for it, which is ambivert, uh, which a lot of people have started using as well. Um, I think that's where I land right now. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you feel like you kind of discovered this about yourself? Like how you best operate in different environments? I think the most common um, piece that people do is the uh, Myers-Briggs, you know, type indicator, which is 16 different types, you know, personality types. And you go through a series of like multiple choice questions and you answer what, where you sort of land. Um, and it's four things that they evaluate you on, right? It's introvert versus extrovert, thinking versus feeling, sensing versus intuition and judging versus perceiving. Right. So these are based on that, you know, there's 16 different types that can obviously come out of that. They all sort of represent different types of personalities. But what's interesting is. Like I'm an INTJ, which is like introvert thinking. T is intuition. intuition and then um, J is judging. J is judging. Yeah. So that's kind of where I land. But um, I used to be an ENTJ, which was what I was earlier, right? So, and I've always been somewhere in the middle when I sort of do that. I think even my uh, INJ sort of is somewhere, in the, not my INJ, what am I saying? My TNJ is somewhere in the, not my TNJ, whatever. You guys know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the middle. <laughs> so, um, but, but what's interesting about it is that when you do this test and a lot of corporates make you do this test or, or run these, um, is you get to sort of understand what each type represents and what skill sets they bring to the table. Uh, and there's a lot that you can relate to, right? So when you do yours, while, while there will be similarities between other INTJs out there, there will also be differences between my report and the report that goes to somebody else. Mm -hmm. That's something that's helped me a lot. There's also a lot of other factors in the world that influence your personality type, right? So um, I'm not a great public speaker. I've struggled with it for a very, very large point of my career, whether it was school or, or sort of things, but I've always pushed myself to get out of my comfort zone and build myself for that. So doing sessions like this, intimidating for me, it's, you know, it causes a level of, uh, you know, sucking my energy. And that's what, you know, being an introvert or extrovert is, right? It's wh where does it leave your energy and how do you work with that? But a lot of people will, you know, look at me and be like, hey, you're lying. You're definitely comfortable and happy speaking. Why would you do this? And why would you do something that's not even a requirement if you didn't enjoy it? And that doesn't mean I don't enjoy it, but it takes my energy to do it. So by the end of this call, you know, when I put my laptop down, I would sit and be like, whew, I'm relieved. <laughs> you know, I can sort of like relax and sort of take things from, from there. And I think that's where uh, it comes from, right, is, is does it take effort for you to do something in a certain manner, uh, you know, when it comes to say public speaking or a presentation or asking a question in a meeting, 
or is it something that's really easy and natural to you, right? So a lot of it falls into terms of uh, how you would prep maybe for a meeting or how you would show up for something. Um, and I think that's how it's it's worked for me, right? I've, I've you know, been in leadership positions in the past. Uh, I'm building a team right now. Uh, and a lot of that will be how I sort of plan and work towards that as opposed to it fitting my personality type, you know, which is if people went by that, you know, you wouldn't get these kind of opportunities. And yes, you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone to make that happen. But um, there's a lot of ways that that you can do that. And one part is prepping. One part is for leaders to kind of understand that environment a little better uh, and open up spaces. Um, but yeah, that's I'm rambling. But that's no, I mean, I, I completely hear you. And I feel like, um, you know, I think what you said about using these personality tests as um launching pad to kind of begin understanding yourself and mm -hmm. then essentially using like observations and calibrating yourself accordingly I guess that's where introverts have an advantage even if the world may be designed for extroverts so yeah I completely hear you um I in fact incidentally I also move along the INTJ ENTJ kind of spectrum mm -hmm. um, so yeah I think that really speaks to how much of a spectrum it really is um, you know, maybe to um, kind of take it a little step further and break it down, because um, I know introversion and extroversion, that dichotomy is best understood. Um, a lot of, um, you know, like a lot of our members spoke a lot about how, um, like kind of comparing themselves, you know, in terms of like, if we are introverts, we see extroverts do certain things really well. Um, and one of those things as, especially as professionals is personal brand. Um, it's like, it used to be the rage back a little earlier, but because now it's just like a given that any professional who wants to get ahead is ambitious, will have a personal brand of their own. And this is typically you'd expect extroverted folks to succeed in and do really well, or I mean, have it come easy to them. So a lot of our fellow introverts who've joined us here um, spoke a lot about how can we, you know, leverage our strength in especially kind of highlighting the kind of personal brand that uh, we bring to the table and we have. Um, so yeah, do any thoughts on that, especially since you've seen so many young professionals? Yeah, I think a great question. And it's not easy. Uh, I think a lot of building a personal brand is, it has to come naturally to you, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not saying uh, it in the sense that if it's not natural to you, you can't do it. But what I mean by that is it has to be really authentic to you, right? So for example, for me, LinkedIn is a platform that is very authentic to me, my voice, what I like to say, what I like to put out, what I like to talk about, but it also allows me to be really private about the rest of my life, you know? So mm -hmm. initially when I, uh, I used to have an open Instagram platform at one point and um, I started getting really confused about what to post, right? Because I would want to post something personal. I'm like, oh, you know, it's my anniversary or it's my niece's birthday. And then suddenly I put a picture of my niece and I'm like, one second, this should not be public. And I don't want the whole world to see her photograph. And, you know, with the kind of stuff that happens out there on the internet and, you know, you suddenly start getting paranoid and they're like, oh, I want to delete it. And then I'm like, oh, should I post something that's corporate on, on my Instagram? And then people are like, my friends are like, why are you being so cringy? You know, and it becomes this really weird environment where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing in this platform. And then it's not fun. And yeah, suddenly you're like, why am I doing this? Um, 
So I made my page private and I feel so much better after that. You know, it doesn't mean that um, it's only my immediate network that follows me, but it's a very small network and I like that. Um, and I just saw a comment in the chat, which was about personal and professional on IG. It wasn't working for me. You know, I didn't want to have two accounts. It was too much of a lift, but what works really authentically for me in that way is LinkedIn. Um, so that's the platform where I started putting a lot of that out, you know, so whether it's pictures of me in the workspace, whether it's me talking about sessions like this, whether it's me venting about a course that I'm working on right now and trying to get through, uh, it feels like a natural platform for me to have dialogue, create these conversations, uh, put out something like open conversations, which I enjoy, you know, so it feels like one is to one conversations, but I'm able to do that at a, at a, at a certain scale. Um, and it feels like people like it because I've managed to garner, garner a certain level of following with a certain network. It's, you know, a niche community, but it's something that I feel like I'm engaging with this space of younger corporates who are looking and seeking certain kind of advice and they're finding it from my, from my brand, so to say. Um, but that's how I've done it. For some people, it's Twitter, you know, so putting that commentary out there, creating threads, writing stories. Um, some people are great at that. I suck at Twitter, you know, so it's kind yeah. of figuring out what's, your sweet spot. And like you said, everyone's on social media. Everyone has a sweet spot. For somebody having that personal and professional page on Instagram might work really well. For mm -hmm. someone, threads might have exploded for them. For somebody, it's a podcast, you know? So I think figuring out what platform works for you will really help you create your own personal brand because uh, if you're not authentic, it's not personal. Um, and then it starts feeling, I don't know, you know, there's some profiles I look at at some point and I'm like, this feels really inauthentic and I don't believe you. And that's when it becomes a challenge for people because you're forcing yourself to say something which isn't true to you necessarily. Um, so that's my my main tip on, on personal branding. Wow, that, I mean, I must say it's really reassuring to hear that you kind of struggled with that as well because I've spent a good amount of time researching you before the session. And I have to say that you have a very distinct personal brand, um, especially on LinkedIn, like you said. Um, so I wouldn't have known that you kind of went through this dilemma, but I guess just to be able to have such a distinct personal brand, you just need to, like you said, find something that feels um, authentic. Um, you know, you spoke a lot about personal brand on social media. Um, another way that we see personal brand being created um, is through in-person meets. I mean, we host many events yeah. at Leap.club um, and they're solely designed for members to meet maximum number of relevant people. Um, so it's very designed for discovery. Um, so, I mean, on an average, you'll see members walking away with about 10 to 12 new connections. So you're making these connections. So let me split my question into two parts. First, how do you ensure that you walk away with having made an impactful enough kind of impression um, and that could be like by starting conversations or like how do you just present yourself in the best way possible at these events and then a follow-up to that is how do you sustain that kind of relationship after the event yeah um difficult yes definitely hard um and I think the the biggest takeaway I've had at these these events and for me there's two or three different ways that it's manifested in my life, right? My, one was in the uh, early phase of my career when I was a journalist. Um, the, at that point, my objective with networking events was collect as many business cards as possible, right? It was old school when people used to carry business cards, but it was kind of that mentality, which was develop my network 
Mm -hmm. uh, so that I have as many contacts who I can reach out to when I'm doing a different story, right? So my objective was scour through the room, find everybody, say hi, hello, introduce myself. We talk about the beat I cover, collect a business card. And so my output was always, do you have a card? If you don't, can I take a photo of your card? If not, can you share your number? It was one, one was that aspect. Um, as I progressed in my career and as things have changed in my life in terms of what I'm trying to get out of these meetings, my current takeaway is have one meaningful conversation. If I take that away from an event, it doesn't matter how many people I spoke to, but if I have one meaningful conversation, that event was worth it. Um, and I think obviously there can be many more post that, like you can have five or six, but if you're setting yourself up, one is the chance of you being successful at that event is higher because you end up feeling like, yes, I had this amazing conversation. Uh, I feel a deeper connection with this person. And the, the second part of that is when you speak to a person, instead of just being like, hi, hello, and collecting the business cards, you've made a deeper connection. And the chance of follow-up is that much higher, as opposed to being like, I made 12 connections or 15 connections, right? Which are much more, um, you know, I, I don't know, super like vague, I guess, you know, in, in some mm -hmm. senses, right? And it the intent of what you're trying to do could be different. So if you, for example, work at an agency and you're like, this is places where I can meet 10 potential clients, of those 10 clients, five convert or three convert, I'm at least trying to widen my network and eventually reach something, but go in with a clear objective and that will help you um, a lot, right? And I think a part of it is, I just saw a question about like, how do you create those meaningful connections? I think it's that beginning awkward 10 minutes when you're sort of smiling at people, introducing yourself and having conversations, move the room, right? So if I find somebody in my first, hi, hello, I'm so-and-so, this is what I do, who are you? If that person is responsive to you, you can keep that conversation going, find common interests. Remember, people are not just their job, right? There's larger parts of people's lives. There's other interests that you can sort of connect. And it might feel like it doesn't mean anything because you're not trying to make friends, but developing stronger personal connections makes work so much easier because you're able to understand a person better. And that just makes work either easier or more fun. Um, so that's my advice towards that. Um, and I missed the second part of your question. Um, I think first was just like building those connections and taking them forward, which is. Yeah. So for taking it forward, like I said, if, if they're more meaningful, the chance of you taking that connection forward is much higher, right? Because by the time you end that meeting or that meet and greet, you can sort of be like, Hey, let's connect for a coffee. You exchange numbers. You have a reason to follow up for your coffee chat or a physical meeting or Maybe if you've spoken about something personal, going for a run or doing something together that goes beyond the workplace. But but fewer conversations makes that follow up that much easier. Plus, it's less pressure on you to follow up and make the next step happen. Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, in fact, since so many uh, members spoke a lot about it, I have check-in activity about following up, up, just kind of staying in touch. Um, what I hear you say is the initial conversation make it like meaningful enough that you are, I mean, it's it's designed in a way that you can follow up and you have something to follow up uh, with. In fact, one of our members, I can't recall the name, submitted a question about, you know, like sometimes networking just feels like you meet and then the next time you connect is for something. So it ends up becoming a very transactional kind of relationship. And mm -hmm. how do you go beyond that? So. Um, Maybe just like understanding what 
people yeah. in just to build on that having a transactional relationship is not a bad thing mm. provided that that transaction has value for both parties right so mm. if you had a conversation and that's fine a lot of professional relationships are just transactional right uh i work as a marketing person and i do a lot of businesses business with agencies and i speak to a lot of agencies and ultimately somebody will have a good idea and i'll say okay i'll connect with you let's discuss this further and then we discuss it further we either go ahead or we don't go ahead and that's a win win on both sides they're getting more business i'm getting a good idea if it works out it's great if it doesn't you know move on from there so some of these networking events or these connections you make can be transactional they can be one time relationships not everything has to uh lead to a result and that's a core challenge with networking as well is that there's a lot of rejection you know mm-hmm. uh, i i mentioned that i do open conversations because there was a struggle there's a journey you go through not you don't get like um i say things like you know i've gotten every job i have through my network which is true but i've also been rejected from 100 jobs reaching out to my network and trying to get those jobs you know so i think um it looks easy it's not it's something you do have to put time and effort towards and there will be more no's before there's a yes but that doesn't mean you stop trying because the success also comes from there um so it's just something that i think is uh is important to kind of keep in mind because it's not it's not just hey you know i followed all these steps these steps and i didn't see result you can try everything and you can get rejected but there's thousands of people out there with similar skill sets and people that might suddenly have value in in the connection that you're making with them it's a two way street that's something a lot of people forget hmm that's such a refreshing take that um you know that transactional relationships are not bad because you know the common uh conception is that notion is that transactional relationships aren't good um but even as you said you know as long as they're mutually beneficial is the key like the operator phrase there um one of the questions that we got in was how do you kind of ensure um you walk away knowing what will be beneficial to the other party as well like how do you kind of get to that and even beyond just the personal conversations you may not always walk away knowing what you can bring to the other person's table so how do you kind of any best practices that you've seen for that it's super simple ask questions show mm-hmm. interest right i think that's it you meet somebody um and spend a little time trying to get to know them and it could be to understand the work they do it could be to understand what their background's been and you know you get somebody to talk and open up about themselves their journey they 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 will open up you know so it's kind of like hey you know it's nice to meet you and and what do you do and i think being the one that's kind of pushing the narrative is something that you need to do and it's not easy so sometimes i plan i'll prep i'll have like four questions that i keep in mind and um remembering someone's name right you know so when you say hi to somebody i think that's something a lot of people forget right you network and then you say hi and then you bump into that person again in the bathroom and you're like oh i know i met you but i've already forgotten what your name is right that's not that's not a great way to run that so i think if you're able to spend even 10 minutes but really engage with a person um and there's no harm even if you've forgotten a name to reinforce it say it out loud do these things because that these are simple things but it shows interest and shows that you are bested than them 
um, which is what everyone wants at the end of the table. And when they open up, it will give you little bits of information which you can then gauge if this person is somebody you could work with on something or, or not, right? So for example, um, if I met somebody who works in sustainability, it doesn't automatically feel like something that fits the work that I do, but you know, there could be certain angles that I pull out of it based on that conversation, which right now I can't think of. But as mm. that person opens up to me, maybe they tell me about their kid who is studying abroad and what process they've gone through, you know, and then suddenly I'm like, oh, this is interesting. What counselor do you use? And that works back on the work that I do, you know, so suddenly it's a connection. I'm like, oh, can you introduce me to the to the counselor? Why does this benefit both parties? It benefits me because I'm deepening my connection. It benefits them because the counselors help their student, their child get to university and they're doing them a favor by creating a new lead for them. So it's it it's simple. This is more beneficial for me, but it is a win-win on both sides, you know? So mm. um, I think even finding small things like that can help. Um, these are just stupid examples I'm giving you right now, but it's just kind of ways that it might show up uh, in your life when you're having these conversations. And, and, and um, it's also touch and go. A lot of times you'll have a conversation, you realize five minutes in, I'm really bored having this conversation and I want to move on. And yes, you know, excuse yourself and go to the bathroom, excuse yourself to go get a drink and then start fresh with the next person. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why uh, having drinks at networking events is just such a yeah. common thing. And it's a, it loosens you up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It takes the kind of stress away. From Edge off, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think great. I think you mentioned something that's so useful, right? Like just identify what are the questions for that will help you get the information you need to assess whether this is a relationship you can take forward. I mean, we forget that, right? Like, can we continue this relationship? Yeah. Um, on that note of, you know, and now we've identified um, this is these are people that we want to continue relationships with. And we spoke a lot about follow up. And I think on that, uh, Nandini, I had a really great question. Nandini, would you like to unmute and ask your question about burnout? Mm, I don't know if I can see that she's still here, but. Anyway, I'll ask the question on her behalf. Um, and the question was, how do you deal with or plan for the sense of burnout or sensory overload that comes with multiple meetings, emails, and social media connections through work? Especially with the follow-ups where one tends to feel overwhelmed with keeping up with whom and getting whom to get back to and when. And I think that's such a great question, right? Yeah, I think, I think that's a challenge uh, because a lot of us put too much on our plate and we forget that we're not performing at our A game every day, 24-7. You know, there are bad days. There are days you don't want to get out of bed. There's days you're unwell. There's days when you don't want to change out your pajamas and you want to stay in, in the house the entire day, right? You're, you're not at your optimum. You're not a robot, right? You can't be at this, you know, efficient Tara version every single day. But yeah. we plan our lives like we're going to be this person, you know, so we clutter our calendars, we do certain things and uh, and then you can't achieve it and then you feel stressed and you feel burnt out. And it's that cycle that we kind of develop for ourselves. What I do is, it might not work for everybody, but it's what I do, is I use my efficient days to their optimum. So on my efficient days, things just move. It's like seamless, you know, I'm on a roll. Uh, and I'm a very organized person. So for me, I'm able to kind of knock out my work, set up my meetings, 
on efficient days, sometimes I reschedule meetings because so I find meetings really waste a lot of time. Um, so I kind of try and send send updates, be like, okay, I don't think we need this meeting. Let's move on. Um, and I try to roll on roll out as much as I can. I love scheduling tools, you know. So Gmail has scheduling, Slack has scheduling. Uh, I think WhatsApp has started scheduling. I don't know if it's rolled out everywhere, but I think that you know you can schedule on LinkedIn. You can make calendars. You know, I love that. I told you I'm an organized person. So sometimes I just plan in that manner. Sometimes you'll see LinkedIn posts go up on my page and I've forgotten that I've scheduled it, right? Not everything has to be immediate and posted the second you write it, you know? So um, yes, I might think of it at a point and write it out, but be like, hey, this is Sunday, 3 a.m. I should not be posting on LinkedIn right now, you know? And yeah. I'll schedule it for a Monday or a Tuesday or something like that. And when you do that, it reduces some pressure and it allows you downtime. So this is... a cheap trick that I do sometimes is sometimes I'm really efficient on Sundays uh, because I've rested the whole day. I get that Sunday evening anxiety. So I kind of see what I need to do for Monday and I schedule all my emails for Monday morning and I sleep in on Monday. So it makes my Mondays a lot easier. It I'm dealing with my Sunday anxiety because I'm, I'm just dealing with it. I'm like, I feel anxious. Let me just plan ahead. So I'm not, I'm not feeling anxious about it. And I then chill, chill Monday morning and it's great for me. Just don't tell your office, tell my office about it. But that's kind of what I do. And it, it, it helps me a lot because it's made my Mondays more chill and it's helped me deal with burnout because I'm using my efficient times and um, chilling on my lulls, you know, so that that's kind of my, my method. Yeah. So I think what I'm hearing is um, just know like when you work best and how your energy yeah. and and it's for me, optimal. I've even informed my workplace right now where, I mean, I work across time zones, so I need to be flexible, but um, I break my day up. So I know I'm efficient in my mornings and I'm efficient in my nights. And my post lunch is the worst time in the world for me. So I sit and I watch TV and then I do my workout and then I start my calls after that. So between two to five, that's my free time, you know, so it's different for different people. Um, and I don't mind breaking up my day. So, and I've told my workplace that so that, you know, they adjust to my schedule also as much as I'm adjusting to their okay. schedules, you know, so that's something we forget that everyone's human. And if you have a discussion, uh, a lot of times people give you that flexibility. Wow. I feel so um, seen right now because in fact, I've spoken to Denise about this a lot that like afternoons are just a time where cannot be productive and um, just such a, simple way right to look at your schedule differently and move beyond like that nine to five kind of yep. um, barrier um, I also know that like it's tough right like even from our work that we do it's tough to kind of move past the time where everybody else is working and like we said you know the world designed for kind of extroverts who thrive when they're around people um, if you can't kind of break your day up in that way what are some simple ways that we can maybe um, avoid burnout uh, so that we don't have to be kind of just constantly working because maybe afternoons are something that you can't take off? You know? I think I think parts of it is also just being smart about it, right? So if you have to work a nine to five job, nobody is actually working at nine to five. You know, the smokers are taking their smoke breaks because they have to smoke, you know, and mm -hmm. if you don't smoke, like, so when I, when, when I was in, uh, a journalism job we used to work uh you know 12 14 hour shifts mm -hmm. and I didn't smoke and I was a workaholic and I used to just like sit and I'd be like one second why am I doing everyone's work because 
I'm working my entire shift and then realized just because of, I started taking smoke breaks, even though I don't smoke, you know, so mm-hmm. if somebody was taking a smoke break, I'd be like, cool, I'm going for a stroll and I would walk for the same amount of time, but I would schedule that in my time because I need a break too. And I deserve that break too, you know, and smoking felt like an excuse. Um, mm. And it's not like dissing smokers in any way, but I'm just saying that like, if you don't have certain habits, it just means that some things are more accepted for a required break because it's it feels like a requirement and going for a five minute stroll sometimes feels like, hey, this person's not taking their job seriously, you know, but I think if you schedule it in that way, it, it starts helping. Um, so I think one was that like forcing breaks for yourself, um, you know, the Apple watch has that great reminder, which is like stand every one hour, you know, so, you know, mm-hmm. just maybe using these things to be like, I'm prioritizing myself also and giving myself that breather is important. I think the second part is um, having clear like out times, you know, so, and sometimes, yes, you will go beyond your schedule or whatever it is, but if you have be like, Hey, I've worked a little late today. So, you know, are you okay if I'm adjusting my schedule? I think the Indian workplace is trying really hard to reduce the toxicity that exists in it, right? So I think a lot of that push needs to come from younger employees, from people who want change. Though if the conversations don't happen, like I said, the world is built for extroverts. So if you don't bring it up, no one's going to think about it themselves. So uh, it's the hard part. If it's a hard conversation, write it down, spend some time putting some effort into how you want to say it, rehearse you know when I started trying public speaking or you know I used to speak to a mirror you know I used to do that kind of stuff and um when I was you know negotiating a salary I would write out what my you know exit clauses on where what is my say no point because when people start having conversations with you they start you know saying things that sound really convincing and then you you start getting flustered, especially when you're slightly more introverted. And what I would do is just have that one figure in my mind or that one thing that was my term, which is where I would say no and stand by it. You know, so I think doing things like that help you be prepared, even if you're it's not necessarily a, a space you're the most comfortable in. So um, I think these are some of the ways that you can structure, like you have to understand yourself and then structure your workday around it or figure out what the jugaad is if the workplace is a little more stringent, stringent, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that helps a lot. Um, And I mean, maybe uh, you spoke a lot about like how scheduling and just like kind of preparation and stuff helps you. Um, Radhika asked uh, an interesting question, which I don't know, um, may not be that applicable to yourself, but maybe you have some input on it. Radhika, do you want to unmute and ask your question? Okay, I'll just ask the question on Radhika's behalf. Uh, she spoke a lot about how she's recently started planning her day and her week. Uh, but uh, it's the planning of, you know, just like looking at the list of all the things you have to do that actually gives uh, her more pressure. And I see a lot of people plus wanting that. Um, so any tips that you see, you can give um, folks like Radhika who, you know, just looking at the volume of tasks can be overwhelming yeah so very different personality type for me <laughs> I think in those yeah. aspects, for me uh the clutter in my brain is what I need to do list to kind of give structure to um uh, and I get a lot of satisfaction scratching things out like it really makes me feel good at the end of my day and uh I think I've, one thing is I've come to terms with 
I will never scratch out my entire to-do list in the kind of work I do now, right? When I was a journalist, it was very task-oriented and it meant until that my to-do list was scratched out, I couldn't leave the office because these were all essential things I had to finish that day, but I never took work home. With the work that I do today, there's so much stuff that keeps pushing over to the next day. So I think one part with to-do lists, um, and honestly, I don't really know how to deal with, you know, not getting anxiety from a to-do list because for me, it gives me satisfaction, but I'm just giving you notes on how I try to make sure my to-do list doesn't stress me out, right? So one of them is the fact that I know things is gonna things are going to carry over to the next day. The second part is uh, making it fun. I love stationery. I love, you know, using cute notebooks and things that just make me feel, I end up also wasting a lot of time making to-do lists, but <laughs> it gives me some level of, of satisfaction doing that. And, and it clears the clutter in my brain. Um, and, and I think it's just what Nandini put it in, in the chat is what are the, the must do's and what is the rest of your list that will carry on as long as you're able to tackle the must do's you're, you're pretty clear. And I think, um, I think that's, that's the key. How do you figure that out? What are, what are the most pressing tasks on your list, right? One is, what are the immediate meetings? What do you need to prep for? Do you have something that's, uh, that, you know, you, do you have a big meeting that you need a presentation ready for? Is there um, a social media post that needs to go live? I'm sorry, using examples from the work that I do, but like, you know, so I look at those four or five things, which I'm like, this has to be approved today. This can move on to, to, to tomorrow. And this needs to be closed up by the end of the week. Everything else is just there. And I make some, like sometimes I make working lists, right? So sometimes I write lists because I like the scratching out part, but I also have a sheet, which is like a to-do sheet. And it's just that some of that stuff just keeps moving down on my list, you know? Um, yeah. And it's also just ways like, like my, my email is structured as a to-do list for me in some ways, you know? So um, I'm a zero inbox person. You will have probably figured that out from a, from my conversation already, but it's, but what I do is I read everything. So um, stuff that doesn't need action, I archive. Stuff that needs that needs my response stays in my inbox. So right now in my inbox, you will have 20 emails. Those are emails that still have action required. Everything else is archived. So for me, my email also has a certain structure to it, which might not work for everybody, but it works really well for me. You know, So I think that's the, that's the part is... If to-do lists don't work for you, figure out what works for you because um, it could just be like, I like to flow with what's coming to me and whatever gets knocked out gets knocked out. And I know people who are very efficient like that, but that does not work for me. You know, so I think uh, I'm just giving you examples of how I reduce the stress with something that feels like really either time consuming, uh, unnecessary, but, you know, it depends person to person. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you spoke about how it may feel unnecessary. And I think in the way that organizations are designed right now, they are more kind of optimized for finishing tasks as they come, as and when they come, not so much like taking out the time to build out your calendar, build out like, how acceptable is it that I'm sorry, I can't come for this meeting because I'm cleaning out my calendar, or I'm setting up my calendar, you know, like, that's not something that is even spoken about as much. So um I mean, I'm just curious about, I think the part is schedule that time in your calendar. So, I mean, everyone is kind of like, like, I don't think it's acceptable to miss a meeting because you've decided to clean out your system at that point, but mm. it's very acceptable to, to put in a block and be like, this is my personal block. 
somebody scheduled a, a meeting over that block, it's very acceptable to ask that person to move the meeting because you already have something blocked at that point. So I think that's a better way to structure it where uh, mm. you're just kind of like, because I think last minute telling somebody you're skipping a meeting, not Doesn't easy, work. difficult to do, but scheduling time for yourself to plan this out, absolutely essential, you know? So mm. like I, I, I have a workout block on my calendar. I have uh, D&D time on my calendar. I have... Like I have D&D India time, like, and I literally put that every day because otherwise there'll be somebody in the US who randomly puts a block in my calendar at that point, you know, because they forget there's a time zone difference. So my calendar looks really stressful, but a lot of the time it's because I'm like, hey, I need these pockets of time for myself. Got it. Got it. So like basically work with the system. Yeah. Better draw your boundaries. Yeah. As, got it. Um, And, and I think that brings us to something that I've we should definitely talk about as we're talking about this topic is um, just something that you know leaders can do better I know we have a bunch of leaders joining us today on this call and just maybe what can they do better to create a culture which is um, you know inclusive also but also celebrates introverts and extroverts so any tips for them I think I think one part is understanding that people do things differently from you right so um for example, when I worked at Netflix, um, I'm somewhere like I fall in the middle of being a creative person as well as a, you know, ops, strategic, planning, business minded person. Right. And usually people are one end or the other. Um, so I really enjoy the creative brainstorm and the creative building, et cetera. But a lot of other people in the organization would be purely creative, or purely business. And I was just that hard one to kind of fit in either bucket. And I didn't like being in either bucket. I like doing both, you know? So I think um, one part is also understanding different people have different skill sets and how do you, you utilize that to the best ability? So what used to happen with me is because I used to fall in the middle, there'd be some opportunities where I would lead creative and there'd be somewhere I would lead media and then, or I would read strategy and the organization itself realized how beneficial that was, right? So I was able to kind of, grow and build myself further because people saw that strength in me or the leaders in my organization saw that that strength in me, you know, versus uh, imagine that being in a different organization where somebody's like, Hey, I have a gap in creative. You just be creative. And if you're unhappy too bad. Right. And I'm obviously being black and white with the way I'm saying this, but there's many times when it's like, Hey, you know, I don't have the space for you to be able to do both. You have to pick. And you know, there's a, there's a lane and you have to do that. Um, and I think that's one part is, is kind of, yes, have team structures and have the way they operate, but play to your team's strengths as well. And, you know, sometimes experiment, try giving them uh, something that's out of their scope. Let, and if they're willing to do that, they're, they're absolutely willing to do that. I think the second is um, understanding how to structure meetings, um, because I think the, the challenge is when somebody's trying to include somebody's perspective in a meeting, you just call somebody out and that person might or might not be comfortable giving their point of view immediately, right? So I think um, I'm going back to the introvert extrovert example, but I think the way both personalities behave in meetings is very different. So uh, typically introverts will think, say, and then think, and extroverts will say, think, and say, right? So you can judge these personalities on absolute extremes if you're like, this guy's just flippantly giving his perspective and has not, you know, read the memo or this 
this woman is always silent in a meeting and never has a point of view. But I think you need to look out for where they share that point of view. So it could be, I know this person is slightly introverted. Can I, after this meeting, follow up with what they think about it? And the chances by that point, that person has spent time and has really valuable insights that you would have missed otherwise. So I think catering to people's personalities, especially in public forums, is something people forget a lot about. Um, mm. and that's something I think people could do a lot better uh, of as leaders. And sharing pre-reads, you know, so it's adding more work for a leader, but prep people so that they can use that forum to share opinion uh, and like open up spaces. So I think uh, it's a leader's job to adjust to the different personalities on their team, as opposed to hire only people who are like you, you know? So I think uh, those are a few few things that that come to mind when it when it comes to this. Got it. So we spoke about what um, leaders can do better. Oh, I'm just going to mute Hita. Yeah, uh, we spoke about what leaders can do better. I'm curious about um, leaders who themselves are introverts, right? Like uh, something we spoke about is the common misconception that leadership is the purview of extroverts, while introverts are better suited to be kind of individual contributors. So your thoughts and yeah, your thoughts on this. I think uh, typically introverted leaders are a little more receptive because they've had to fight against the grain to get to the position that they're at. So they're a little more sensitive towards some of the challenges that exist in the space. But I think um, parts of it is also, you know, looking at it, it's, it's both both ends of it, right? Like identifying different personality types is, is for any sort of leader, right? So understanding what the strength of a, extroverted person is on your team or, you know, whichever profile they, they fall under, right? Some understanding the gray areas that exist. So just because somebody is a more extroverted personality doesn't mean that's the person you can put on the spot all the time, you know, or just because somebody um, tends to take notes or is more organized doesn't mean that that person should be your note taker or your memo writer, or, or you know, I think it's kind of, uh, it works both ways. It's kind of, adjusting to the variety of personalities on your team and making them work better together. That's your job as a leader. Your, if your team is shining, you're shining. So um, I think that's the core of it is, is how does your team shine? It shines with diverse perspectives because that's when you get all the point of views of what you're trying to do. Uh, how will that work well together? That depends on the leader to make sure all personalities are working towards their strength and working well together and feeling happy about it, you know? So uh, I think listening, hearing people out, asking the questions, you know, these are things that that are super important from, from a leadership perspective. Got it. And uh, what would you say to introverts who themselves have hopes of becoming leaders themselves, um, but common kind of, the, the way that they're typically viewed in, um, yeah, is that they may not make the best. Yeah, so I think I think the challenge is one part is 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 having the conversations like we spoke about, right? Like voicing this is what I like to do, this is what I don't like to do, and voicing uh, how you can do certain tasks. You know, so if it's about building a team, how will you do it? You know, you need that input on how you would do that as the personality that you are. And I think the second part of it is um, also kind of figuring out how you can fit into this workplace that's structured for a personality type that's different from you. 
So for example, public speaking is important. Being able to convince somebody with your point of view needs to happen with conviction. You need to be clearer in your speech. You need to sort of, uh, you know, modulate your voice. You need to do certain things to make that change, right? Uh, and I think what you need to understand then for yourself is how do you prep yourself to get there? So for me, for public speaking, I would write everything down. I would write out even the jokes that I would want to crack, you know, to make people kind of, uh, you know, to soften the room or to showcase my personality, which exists. It's not fake. It's just me knowing things I would like to say, but knowing that I would get intimidated if I didn't write it down. And sometimes I would crack the joke and sometimes I wouldn't, and sometimes it would land and sometimes it wouldn't. But because I'm able to do that when I have these conversations, it now comes to me a lot more naturally, right? So I don't need to prep and I don't need to write out my jokes and it kind of happens organically. But I think knowing yourself uh, and knowing what your gaps are and what your shortcomings are will help you because you can work on it. Nobody has to be stuck in the silo that they're sort of, or the type that they're like allocated. We've already talked about how so many of our personality types change. And that doesn't mean you're kind of flying all over the place. It just means that you're evolving as a human being. Yeah. So, um, I mean, reassuring to know that uh, it gets easier. So just kind of put yourself out there. Um, and I think that's such a great note to kind of close this on just because, I mean, I don't know where the last hour has flown because we're down to the last couple of minutes. Uh, but um, I think that this is a great segue to kind of close off the conversation. And I would love for you to maybe sum up uh, or maybe just share a few tips that you'd like to leave our audience with um, before we close. Sounds good. So I think I just wanted to sum up with, uh, and I think this is trying to tie up the, the conversation itself is, is just a few tips that I have around networking. Um, and, and I think networking and follow-up, I think these were parts, I, I saw quite a few questions, you know, kind of float in the chat box about this. So I think a couple of my tips and some of them I've, I've highlighted already, I have four. I think one is what we spoke about is any network is a two-way street. Um, so you need to figure out what is relevant for both people. You're not, you're not asking for charity, right? You need to know what your own value is um, and push that to that person as well. So that's number one. I think number two is what we were talking about from a follow-up perspective, right? So I think when you know it's a two-way street, you're clear about what both people can get out of that engagement. You're clear about um, who you are and, and, and what you're bringing to the table, and um, you're so, sort of like, I think when you leave the first conversation, the follow-up is, hey, this is an action point for what's next, right? So really cl clearly pushing the ball into that person's court, I think is important. And I think one part is you have to just uh, kind of like, I'm losing my words, but kind of just take yourself out of it. You know, it hurts when you get rejected, but remember that it's just a, like it's a message this person ignored you there's another how many million people out there in the world move on from it you know don't feel like somebody's forced to respond to you you know it could be timing it could be other issues it could be that person's just a joke you know it's not somebody you necessarily want to uh have in your network so you know water for ducks back kind of an attitude towards uh these these conversations if you don't hear back do not spam it's really annoying so if you don't hear back from somebody after a certain point, leave it. They, ha they have other things happening in their life. Um, 
and maybe there's somebody who's ignoring them as well you know so i think that's just something to think about the third point and this is my most important this is one of the most important things i've learned in my career is with anyone in your network you have one chip uh what does that mean it's like poker you have that last chip you have one call with a person which means that you get a ceo's number there's no harm in cold calling but after you've made that first call it could just be like hey i'm tara it's so nice to meet you and i hang up if i call again they'll probably block me they won't answer my call um i've lost my chance but when i've picked up the phone to speak to somebody if i have a two way street where i have an objective for both of us something tangible the chance of follow up is so much higher so just because you have somebody's contact today doesn't mean you reach out to them tomorrow it could mean you reach out to them two months later remind them of how you met and be like hey i've reached out to you because i think there's a great opportunity for us and post that follow up if it works out it might it might not and the last piece is just basic cold calling hygiene which a lot of people don't have i think people get numbers they immediately call people expect somebody to answer the call immediately and half the time you're you're uh faced with like backlash from that so i think one part that i would point out is introduce yourself on a message or on whatsapp who you are what you want and ask for you know give context for why you're reaching out to them the second is set a time and then call at that time do not call 20 minutes late do not call you know like follow that to the t and i think that's when you have a lot more chance of of building a stronger network or at least converting a larger portion of of the people you're trying to reach out to yeah wow you've really uh, summed it up in like such a great way that i hope you know members can can take this back uh i denise has also kind of put this in the chat box for those of you who want to make a note of this cuz i know i am um thank you so much sara for joining us today and members you were also just an amazing audience i love the kind of banter that was going on in the chat box uh denise has shared a feedback form uh so please do fill that out so and let us know how today's session went and how we can make the next one even better uh you know we won't let you we wouldn't want you to leave without capturing the last 60 minutes so let's take a quick picture for the books would love for everyone to turn on your videos flash up early whites and denise on your queue Awesome. So a more videos coming on, so I'm gonna wait for like two more seconds. All right. Say, oops, we have some. Cool. Are we saying oops? We're saying leap. <laughs> okay. Leap. I'm the only one on uh, unmuted. Yeah, sorry, I muted myself. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone. All done. Thanks, Denise. Um, thanks again, uh, Tara, for doing this. Members, thank you for joining us. You've been great. We have a lot more in store, so please head to the events tab and check out what's coming up. And till then, have a great week. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not saying it's your fault, although you could have done more. Oh, you're so naive, yes, so. Naive.